Hey, it's Elizabeth. We've got a treat for you this week. We're giving our listeners a free edition of our monthly Patreon series, The Monthly Daily Dad, in which we stare into the inky abyss of the Daily Mail, a conservative UK-based tabloid owned by Rupert Murdoch, known for its run-on Byzantine headlines and a reversal of the classic inverted pyramid metaphor used in journalism in which the most important information in the story is shared at the very beginning. The Daily Mail flips that, generally telling you the point of the story at the very end or even at all. Their celebrity gossip coverage is unparalleled in its ability to create a story from a photo of someone simply walking down a street or through a grocery store parking lot. And they're equally fascinated, we found, by our favorite topic, fathers, especially celebrity fathers whose children look like them. They really love pointing out resemblances between parents and their children and marveling at just how shared DNA works. And we'll talk more about that in this episode. If you like what you hear, please head over to our Patreon, patreon.com backslash tell me about your father, where we post these extra episodes monthly for subscribers in which you can get here and after for $3 a month. Okay, here's the monthly daily dad. Welcome to our monthly Patreon exclusive series, The Monthly Daily Dads, in which we look at some of the month's most absurd and intriguing dad-centric stories that appeared in the iconically frenetic and celeb-obsessed Daily Mail. I'm Matthew Philp. I'm Erin Hosier. And I'm Elizabeth Thompson. I normally don't put myself first because I think it's rude, but... I'm going to take a leaf out of one of my favorite current subjects right now and put myself at the front of the line and do a check-in with everyone's favorite royal dad, Prince Andrew, the Duke of Pork. Isn't that hilarious? The Duke of Pork. Oh my God. The reason I'm doing this is because in the last like literally four days, there have been like a half a dozen different stories about Prince Andrew, the beleaguered Prince right? Andrew, who, as we know, is under investigation for... Uh, underage sexual assault and the daily mail gives you a fantastic just like really great overview of what's going on in prince andrew's life right now these stories are in no particular order because i don't think it matters um but they all basically came out in the last like between four days and 12 hours headline prince andrew and ex-wife fergie are seen driving through windsor estate together as friend says duke and in quotation marks, could have his royal patronages restored if he wins legal case against him while the queen is still alive. My favorite thing about this is close associate has claimed that he could regain these patronages if his name is cleared. Who is this associate? This was first, mm. this is one of those things where it's like, this whole thing is based on an associate, a totally unnamed source. This was first published by the, the London Times. I went to the London Times website. They didn't name the source either. And who would have thought that in a royal circle, there would be some deferring sycophant that quickly runs to the press to just say, he could be fine. <laughs> sure, he could be fine. You're right. That is one outcome. Thank you. But it's like royalty really inspires deference in this like fascinatingly servile and asinine way a lot of the time. I think this is a really good example of this story. So right. anyway, people are dropping him like 
I don't know, like shit on a shoe. That's not a thing. The portrait of Prince Andrew's horrifying life continues. <laughs> this is one of another really fantastic story. Deploy Kate Middleton, exclamation mark. Grenadier guards want the Duchess of Cambridge as their new colonel to replace shamed Prince Andrew and make her the first woman to hold the honorary role in the regiment's 366-year history. They have been around since 1656, and they do legit go to, like, war. But they also, like, wear fancy outfits and march about. Um, <laughs> anyway, so Kate Middleton, the boring old piece of toast, she would be better than, a, than, a, than an alleged child rapist. But she wasn't in the military like some of her, like William and Harry. Yeah, it's more of a symbolic role. You're just, like, a person who goes, oh, yeah, I'm involved. Hi. That would be so yeah, odd. Because yeah. when you're royal, you get to be military as well. It's like when you're the president. I see. Suddenly you're the commander in chief and everyone has to salute you. But when you're not the president, you're a civilian. So it's no longer the case. It's all, it's all like yeah. symbolic. Other kind of scandalous things Prince Andrew may be selling his 18 million pound ski chalet right. to protect his assets rather than having to pay off his sex accuser. Sex accuser, mm. not just accuser, sex accuser. Virginia Giuffre, US lawyers say. It's a mysterious buyer. Who's willing to pay him 18 million pounds? Nobody knows. But he had to settle mm. a 6.6 .6 million dollar pound rather debt to socialite Isabel de Ruffre. How old is she, you might be asking? She's 74. Before he could sell this property. I don't know why, but it's just scandal, financial difficulty, annoyance. Why does he have an 18 million pound ski chalet that no one knew about? I think that's weird. Well, Beatrice and her sister have been using it this year. Have they? Yes, because they actually had to vacate on the day they were having their ski vacation when the court came down with its ruling right, or the decision was made by the palace that he wasn't going to be able to hide from yeah. this. And so they left that day. I really want to know how they process this. Mm -hmm. You know? I know. Like there and because I think one of them just cannot stop going on holiday. Beatrice or Eugenie, I don't know which one it is, but she's just like relentlessly on holiday. Every two to three weeks they go on vacation. They're both new moms. They are, mm. that's true. Um it gets better for Prince Andrew. Prince Andrew should be subject of bullying probe over 12 complaints, in quotation marks, made by palace staff over overbearing and verbally abusive behavior, according to a former royal protection officer. It says here that this guy, Paul Page, worked at the Royal Protection Command from 98 till 2004. He said that he made three separate complaints he spoke to the Sunday Mirror saying that he's aware of at least a dozen others, and we'll get to some of those. He alleged that most of his complaints were ignored and that he is calling on the palace to launch an investigation into Andrew. I suspect there already is one because, like, he's a mess. Not a surprise that he would be a difficult person to work with. <laughs> and this story, the Daily Mail ran, makes that case even further. Prince Andrew may have dated Ghislaine Maxwell, insiders tell documentary. The <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> I've never Christ. met this woman or seen her, but I may also now he may have dated her. And he's obviously, they use that one photo where he's like standing next to her every time they mention this. It's like, never met her. Here you are with her. Yeah. Isn't there a photo of him with her and yeah. the woman who's accusing the him one. where they're like standing by a banister? And he's got his arm around the girl. There's so many pictures of them together. She came and went at will. 
at Buckingham Palace yeah. and Sandringham. Like, she didn't even have to sign it. It says here, he's alleged to have dated Maxwell in the past. Former royalty protection officer said that Maxwell would go, as you said, Aaron, she would enter and exit the palace at will. <laughs> IT fees, Ghislaine, Prince Andrew, and the pedophile is on Tuesday night at 9pm. Might have missed that. Or maybe it's tonight. I don't know. We didn't get ITV. Look for it on YouTube. What's the title again for the listeners at home? ITV produced it. So it's Ghislaine, comma, Prince Andrew and the pedophile. P-A-E. 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 Is that Irish television? I don't know. God, I'm embarrassed. I think it is because they often report, of course, on BBC shows that we can't get unless we have special... BBC feeds. Yeah, they're very protective about it. I know. I really want to see so many of them. ITV is a British free-to-air television channel owned and operated by the British media company ITV PLC. Mm. Okay. So ITV really? is technically British, aka it is Channel 3. Channel 3. Okay. okay. Well, maybe everyone got access to it. Um, Duke of York also alleged to scream if maids messed up his teddy bear collection. He would scream. That's what happens. The teddy bears, do we think they were on a shelf or a bed? Okay, I know a lot about this, you guys, because I've been reading about it for two weeks now, this whole ruckus about the teddy bears. So what's also interesting is that his grown-up post-divorce bedroom is the same nursery where he came of age as a young single man in the palace. All of the teddy bears, and it's not just bears. There is one article that I read that actually sort of shows the laminated photograph of where all of the various stuffed animals must go on the bed to be cleaned and then put back perfectly where they were or else Andrew will pitch a fit and the maid would be fired. He loves to torture maids. He also kept like journalists waiting if they had a private meeting with him or an interview. He would have them sit outside his former nursery and in the the chair where they would sit would be a giant overstuffed teddy bear that he'd been having be in the same chair for decades. That's normal. I think he also kept Fergie's wedding dress in the closet in that room. Yeah. I wonder how much royal DNA is just caked into that carpet. You know what uh, I mean? Eugenie oh, and Beatrice, what is the experience, or I guess it's just the child of a father who has a stuffed teddy bear collection that he is incredibly particular about like what is the effect of that i think they can be super controlling and every object and everything they own has some symbolic ritualistic value they being the royals the royal family so this isn't new when you go to scotland belmoral they have like chairs you know let us sit in because like that's the prince Albert's yeah. chair. You know, like they're used to this nonsense ritual on every level. That's a really good point. How different is it just from being like, these are dad's, you know, war memorabilia. Right. Like, don't touch this or baseball cards that are behind a glass case. But I just feel like because of the added detail that these are stuffed toys and that this is his childhood bedroom, there's an unsettling And that the person he's accused of raping was the same age as his daughter Beatrice was when he raped her. Yeah. She was 17. Yeah. And he won't admit it, but you can just feel that 
everyone around him, maybe including the queen, is just like, oh, Andrew, he's just stuck in his Peter Pan era and he'll never, you know, quite grow. But it's, it's not because it's malicious. He is Andrew. He is a tiny baby. <laughs> he is he a is tiny a, baby. He is a tiny baby. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, His Royal Highness <laughs> Prince Andrew, the tiny baby. But I think that also they really... and. If you ever call them on this, they'd never admit it, but I really do think that they consider certain people worth fundamentally less than others. Like they look at mm. they look at this woman who's accusing their father, I suspect, well, all of them, and go, oh, she's just a common trollop who's after quick buck. And that actually on some kind of vital primal level, they do really look at her. Like he looks at her and goes, it doesn't really matter that I did mm -hmm. this to her because she doesn't yeah. count as much. So I kind of feel like they may on some level wow. go, oh, it's fine. It's just some American girl. This is the real, the piece de resistance story. Really rounding <laughs> it out. Headline, thrown a wobbly exclamation mark. Queen had to step in after Prince Andrew rowed with Charles about a royal toilet. A former Buckingham mm. Palace maid said that the <laughs> Queen had to step in to resolve a row. Jeanette McGowan mm. said Prince Andrew and Prince Charles argued over a toilet. She claimed that Andrew refused to move his toiletries from Charles's bathroom. The row at Sandringham in 1999 mm, these was, was this is selling their memoirs because they go outside they're like the you know cone of silence they sign it's just great she told the son we were told not to move anything and not to touch anything in that bathroom because there was an ongoing situation when Ms <laughs> McGowan worked at Buckingham Palace Andrew was living permanently at the London residence with the former maid describing him as spoiled. She then went on to work for Princess Michael of Kent. And let me tell you something. If Princess Michael of Kent is a better person to work for than Prince Andrew, <laughs> that's really saying something about Prince Who Andrew. Who is Princess Michael of Kent? She's the Queen's. Yeah. I think Michael of Kent is the Queen's cousin. So she's a member of the royal family, but she has been, she's like a rabid racist. She's like a second away from just saying, I'm a Nazi. Like she came to New York one time. <laughs> <laughs> and someone who was black annoyed her for some reason. And she was like, you should go back to the colonies. And this was, of course, immediately reported. Like, she's just like one of those like old, gnarled, racist crones who never, ever kind of gets really called on anything. But it said that this woman, Miss McGowan, who's the maid, was like, I think it was very petulant. He, Andrew, was very spoiled with regards to his own rights. And the male did in keeping with journalistic ethics, reach out to Buckingham Palace for comment on this story from 1999, and they apparently have refused to provide comment. What a surprise. So At press time. Anyway. My favorite thing about that story is that it's, I'm assuming toilet is British, is them being used in the British sense of like an entire bathroom. I think so. But I imagine, yeah. I envision Charles um, and Andrew fighting over a literal toilet. Yeah, they're just standing there going, like, <laughs> Charles is standing in front of a toilet itself and just being like, <laughs> my good man, no, you shall not pass. No, it's my oh. toilet. No, it's my yeah. toilet. Oh, <laughs> but it's... <laughs> Maybe it was like a bidet setting. Yeah. yeah, that's all it was. That's right. You have the settings yeah. where you can choose person one or person two on the remote. And it's like, I was person one. But I think it was, apparently Charles was like the old, the, the bigger person in this story. He was like the calmer one. He was like, I'm not going to fight with you over a fucking bathroom. But Andrew stamped his feet. But then 
the queen who had to come in and say, boys. Yeah, she did like, she ran in like the royal English Mrs. Garrett and was just like, boys, boys. And then like yeah. stopped them. And then she fell on accident. Face down. You hurt mom. <laughs> she fell down the stairs. She's just like falling. Like, look what you did. You hurt mom. No, you did. Prince Andrew was the one who said, look who, look what you've done to Prince yeah. Charles. That's also the biggie lane step. I didn't know that she had carte blanche Neither did to I. come and go. That's fucking crazy. Wow. How? F- that is on par wow. with them having parties for the paparazzi that killed Diana. Like just watch Diana die. Like that's, that is yeah. on par. This trial, I don't think it will no. go. I think he will be completely bankrupt. You know, he'll just give every possible proceed he can to keep this from going to court or getting unsealed because it would disrupt the human race. But the fucking details in that shit. I mean, I just desperately want it to go to trial and to be televised. I don't even believe in prayer or God, but I pray that this will happen. (laughs) It just would be the best thing that's ever happened to anyone. But I think the thing about this that's really weird is... It's become like this kind of tense like standoff that really goes back to the Revolutionary War. The British mm. Secret Service, the British police dropped the case. Why? Why did they drop the case? Could it possibly be more deference to the fucking royal family? Who mm. was actually standing up for this? A New York judge. It's like America going, fuck your royal status. We don't care. You're nothing here. We're going to take you down for this to the extent that it's possible. I, I, I think there's mm. something kind of, it's, it's not funny. There are people who are really suffering because of this, but it's just like, that is interesting to me that this is an American standing up to this entrenched class entitlement. So I hope it just doesn't go away. An American who has chosen to live in Australia for the rest of her life. It comes full yeah, circle. it sure does. To this show. To this show is what I mean. Because you are from Australia. Matt's from Australia? Yeah, I, I never he mentioned is. it. because I, I thought it would really overshadow everything if I mentioned it. God, yeah. what? As we segue into Busy's headlines, I know that we're not really going to talk about Kanye. But this just in. Mm. Julia Fox's new girlfriend has coined their new name. Oh. Julie Yay. Julie Yay. That's Julie yeah. and Yay, which is Kanye's now new legal name is Yay, yeah, and right? His sneaker brand, it's isn't been it? Short. Also. Yeah. Listeners at home, I um I had on my list that I would talk about Kanye being on a bottom of the barrel Hollywood gossip show. Sit down 45 minute interview called Hollywood Unlocked, in which he just, he does what Kanye does. It's like a figure eight, the whole interview, everything that he says, and it just, you know, circles back around to like make no sense and then make sense and then goes back to making no sense. But I've been seeing a lot of people saying, you know, because he's, he's doing to Julia what he did to Kim, which is remaking this woman, Julia Fox, has shot into the cultural conversation in the past month because she's now dating Kanye West. But before this, a really unknown actress, like she was the love interest of Adam Sandler's and the, the indie hit Uncut Gems that came out a couple years uh-huh. ago, but otherwise not a household name. And a lot oh, of people no. on TikTok and uh, Twitter have been saying that, you know, they're in Paris Fashion Week right now. She's head to toe leather wearing Blade Runner style black eyeshadow across her whole eye and the bridge of her nose. Which he did. Right. Which he did. And they're you know, it's not only the obvious thing of like, oh, he's dressing her and he's controlling what she looks Barbie. like just like him. 
But a lot of people have been saying, like, it looks like she only has, like, one outfit that she just keeps recycling, which is the leather pants, that she's been in the same outfit the entire time they've been together, which I like that analysis, that there's only one look for her, and they just, yeah. like, get it dry cleaned or not. Or they make her be in them. Like, she's not allowed to change out of them until she does better. This video was taken yesterday of Kanye West and Julia Fox, and I'm so damn discombobulated because Julia Fox been wearing the same outfit since she met Kanye. It's been six weeks, boo. Put something else on, and this problem, you date Kanye, Kanye comes to your house and look at your closet and say, oh, all this trash. Your whole life you didn't know how to dress. I approved this one outfit and this one outfit only until we figured things out. And apparently I ain't figured things out because this mother ain't, ain't even tried to change clothes. I get it. You rocked it. But every day, though, boo? Like, you know, it's a problem if Doug from Nickelodeon got more variety of different clothes than you. And he ain't changed clothes in the last 30 years. And he know how to switch it up every now and then with your dumb ass. You couldn't pay me. And I know I'm digressing. You couldn't pay me to be in that fucking room with Floyd Mayweather, Madonna, Julia oh, yeah. Fox, Julia Fox's friend that video it just looked like it hell looked like a it looked like you know when you are like oh my god it's 3 a.m and i just want to go home and i can't escape this group of people i'm with for whatever reason because yeah. you're in a cage and it's hanging from <laughs> in the corner uh, uh, off a cliff and if you get out you <laughs> die. Well, you're at craig's well i just said i wasn't going to talk about kanye then proceeded yeah, to sorry. talk about him at length but anyways you know on daily monthly dad we like to Reflect on the inane absurdity of a Daily Mail headline. And this one, this does not have much to offer by ways of like classic Daily Mailism, except for the fact that it's about someone who we rarely hear from, I think, in the media, which is Joseph Baina, who is the son of Arnold Schwarzenegger, who he famously conceived via an affair with a maid when mm. he was still married to Maria Shriver. That woman's name is Mildred Baina. All of this came out, obviously, like what in the early 2000s. I think it led to the Shriver Schwarzenegger yeah. marriage dissolving. Which um, only though they were just divorced like last year. Really? Finally. They've been separated for like over a decade. It was because of the you know, Shriver Catholicism. Oh, mm -hmm. that to go via the Pope and swing an annulment. But don't you remember with this that he was kind of all right? Like, I thought this was like a moment of kind of reconciliation or reckoning for Schwarzenegger. Like, he, this came out and he was like, wow. you know what? I did this. I suck. I'm going to go. I'm going to be a father to this kid. You know what I mean? So, I mean, we're talking 20 well, years ago, but yeah. Yeah. So Joseph um, is now 24. And he went on a podcast called Unwaxed, which is uh, hosted by the daughters of Sylvester Stallone, Sistine Stallone, and Sophia Stallone, mm. in which he said that he and his father are, quote, very close and that they like to, quote, joke about everything. But I did think this was interesting. He said, I do have to point out that my relationship with my dad took a little while for me and him to get really close. So reading between the lines of that comment, I read it as the closeness, quote unquote, that you see between them is new. Okay. I think Joseph was like 12 when that story right. broke yeah. um, and grew up on the grounds in the home of his biological fathers. And he looks exactly like yeah. him. Yeah. I mean, and so it was a, he was living a lie. He knew that kid was his. 
for 10 years or however long it was. Oh, okay. I thought it came out and then he was like, all right. And he didn't try to deny it. He didn't go, this is a private matter. Fuck off. Well, he just was well, like. Well, he didn't try to deny can't. it because he can't. Right. Yeah. It's he can't. And he was governor. Don't forget that. That's right. Of California. The total recall. That's a tie. really good point, Aaron. So here's the thing. There's the other part that made me sad about this. He said, I grew up with my mom and I was always nervous about what my father thought of me. I didn't want mm. him to think bad of me and be like, what is this guy doing? He just seems like he's partying all the time. But now it's awesome. I'm so close to my dad and we joke about everything. The fact that he was concerned about what Arnold thought about him makes me very sad. Um, yeah. And obviously, you know, he's followed in his dad's footsteps. He, too, is a bodybuilder. But he did tell the Stallone sisters that he and I thought that this was also a pointed and very smart response. They were like, why don't you, you know, you and your dad have a good relationship now. He obviously acknowledged that you're his son. Why don't you take his last name? Don't you think that would help your career? I mean, I think that's, <gasps> the, that's the implication. I don't think that they said that oh. directly, but that's the implication to me. Why, like, sure. why not take his last yeah, name? Fair enough. Joseph said, and I thought this was poignant. He said, I really think the reason I haven't focused on changing it is because I'm doing my own thing and I have a last name already. I'm already doing so much and succeeding and moving forward with my goals. So that's the last thing on my mind. I have a last name already. I think it's a significant statement mm -hmm. because yep. he, what he's saying is, where the fuck were you? Mm -hmm. You know, I yep. was always Joseph Baina. My interpretation is that he is saying, you made a conscious effort to not acknowledge me as your son for the first, you know, however many years of my life. And I am... I am my mother's son in that sense, and I'm not taking your last name. That's kind of all I have to say about that. It's not like a Daily Mail cuckoo bananas story. It's just I feel for this kid. Yeah. If I had to guess, I would say it's been a rocky road between these two, and I'm glad that Arnold is stepping in and being a part of his life. And I also like that he said, you know what? I don't need to take his last name. He sounds balanced. He sounds like for where he is. And the world yeah. he lives in, he sounds pretty together. I think so, too. So my other, this is this is classic uh, Daily Mail. This is where it's going to get fun. That was my more serious offering. So here's a headline from yesterday. Daily Mail. Heath Ledger's teenage daughter, Matilda, quote, wants to return to Australia to spend time with her late father's family, quote, dash, 14 years after untimely death. So the Daily Mail is obsessed with <laughs> Matilda Ledger, and they often do this thing who weekly talks about this a lot their favorite favorite the daily mail this is like in their top three you know greatest hits it, they, it must just bring in like surefire massive traffic every time is to yeah. point out that a celebrity's child looks like them mm. it'll right. be like so-and-so's daughter is a spitting image of like you know and it's all it's always in like all caps in the headline like you would never have known if they hadn't said it. Yes, like the disbelief that someone who shares DNA with someone else would look like that person. So if you Google Matilda Ledger and Heath Ledger Daily Mail, there's year after year after year Aww. of these stories of how much Matilda looks just like her father. So I think that they realized that's run its course and they're looking for new material. Cut to this story from yesterday. It's based off of a website that ran the piece called Woman's Day. 
Oh, that's like a that's Women's Day. Okay, yeah, Women's Day. Women's Isn't Day. Isn't Women's Duh. is it an Australian um like gossip magazine? They might be multiple countries, well, but there's an American. Women's Day is an American one, and it's like there's always a lady like making Jello on the cover. Yeah, okay. it's like in the good housekeeping ilk. Yeah, that's what. Yeah, yeah, it's like 25 ways to like starve yourself by eating soup for six months, kind of thing. Yeah. And then, like, mm-hmm. you know what else Women's Day loves? Easter. Oh, my God. Easter is their royal wedding every year. There's always a huge Easter fucking cover with, like, 25 Easter cake recipes. Anyways, Matilda, according to Women's Day, is interested in going to Australia. I mean, this is just such a non-story to begin with. But this is all based around an, an insider telling them that she's interested in going back to Perth, where her father's from to just be with his family and it seems like a completely understandable and average thing for a 14 year old to want to do but this is completely in my opinion just classic non-story the daily mail has turned into a story and women's day michelle is extremely protective of matilda and has tried so hard to shelter her from public life but she has accepted matilda's wishes an insider allegedly told the publication Like, that to me sounds like, yeah, you could go to Australia and meet your grandparents or, like, visit them. Like, oh, she definitely visits them all the time. I mean, like, I love that it's just like this, like, she's extremely private and wants to protect her. She knows how Heath died and how much he loved her, not to mention how much his family loves her. And that she always has a home with them, the source added. Again, like, of course. Of course she could always go and visit them. The other thing is, this is clearly just Kim who is the father of Heath Ledger. He just is obsessed with talking about this. All of these stories are just a direct line from the Ledger family and the Daily You think the Ledger family is, like, fading this? Because they're all just sweet stories. Like, I remember the Daily Mail coverage of Heath's death and funeral was, like, actually kind of beautiful. Like, they clearly had photographers or people there that moment when they everyone runs into the sea with their clothes on to honor him. Anyway, yeah, Kim. But this is how, maybe it's Kim, or I also just think, sure, or it's like a neighbor or a completely made-up source or anyone with eyeballs and a hunch yeah. that Heath Ledger's 14-year-old daughter might like to go back to Australia to see that side of the family. Maybe it's the same source as the Prince Andrew I've one. never seen hun- hunch, hunchiness, hunchness. Let's do hunch. Yeah. What if Daily Mail well should be called done. Let's Do Let's Hunch? Let's do hunch. It's a hunch. Yeah. They love a hunch. It's a, one of the hunchiest stories I've ever seen in my entire <laughs> life. Here, they hunch. can't. And then they have to keep writing, right? Because the Daily Mail right. needs things to be super long for SEO. It keeps going. In March last year, an insider, so this is March of 2021, yeah. an insider claimed, and you're like, oh, an insider claimed. What's this going to say? Matilda had also recently sparked an interest in one of Heath's old hobbies, chess. Heath was obsessed with chess, and now Matilda is getting quite good at it, and she even has her dad's old chessboard. A completely wholesome anecdote, but I love that they're just like, in March last year, an insider claimed. (laughs) That's how you know it's a family member, because it's not... There's nothing scandalous or weird about it. It's just sweet and only the family. But why would not know. just say it's the family? Like, I don't know. Like, why not say, here's the name of our source? I don't know. And then the rest of the story goes into grueling detail about the last months of Heath Ledger's wife and, you know, everything that, that happened to him and what he took that killed him. 
But it's true, Aaron, that at the end of the story, there's a video that the male online has put into their video player with the headline, Kim Ledger says granddaughter Matilda is a lot like Heath. So it's clearly a narrative that the family likes and the Daily Mail is willing to like go there because it gets traffic. But I just love making a story out of like what would, of course, be a girl's desire to like go visit family. Experts predict she'll attend school. Experts predict she'll continue breathing. (laughs) Exactly. She'll continue breathing. And then quickly, I just wanted to um, award Eric Clapton with the celebrity award that we we should have thought about this for the daddies this year. We'll do it next year. Um, The I'm doing my own research award. There are some celebrities out there that really love to say that they're going to do their own research lately been related to the vaccine, like Nicki Minaj. And then famously, my most favorite example of a celebrity doing their own research is when Courtney Love thought she found the Malaysian Airlines plane and even did screenshots of where she thought it was in the ocean. But Eric Clapton said on a YouTube channel, some like stupid musician YouTube show that people who get vaccinated are victims of something called mass formation hypnosis. And Mm. he can say that with authority after doing his own research, quote unquote. So I just wanted to give him that award. Celebrity, I'm doing my own research award. I can't wait to not hear more from him about what his research tells him about mass brainwashing and the vaccine. Yeah. Thanks for nothing, Eric. Once again, thank you for nothing. You really are a piece of shit. Just enough. And you fucked up George Harrison's world and he is kind of a bitch and get back. But like. And he has been re-revealed as a horrible racist. Yeah. Psycho. Anti-vaxxer. I mean, get ready. 2022 is going to be a whole year of big Eric. Of big Eric. Mm -hmm. And also there's something so tragic. And you talked about this, Aaron, and get back. George Harrison is so. So worried about being as good of a guitar player as Eric Clapton and multiple times was like, I don't know if I could play. This is an Eric Clapton solo or I don't know if I could. Let's bring Eric. Yeah. To the point where John Lennon is like, you're George Harrison. Like, you're going to make it a George. He's like trying to build him up and like to think that that motherfucker came in a year later and stole that guy's wife. Stole George Harrison's wife is so sick. We knew he was a piece of shit then. That's right. The end. Well, yeah. Aaron, what do you yeah. have for us? You have some good stuff for us. Okay. I have some some just very daily mail, generic, non-celebrity, but good. history and science. Some of our biggest, you know, the reason why we tune in on a boring Tuesday afternoon to look at these headlines. The reason we're here too, history and science. As people, I mean. That's right. Okay. First headline. This is the history one. How Finnish soldier accidentally overdosed on Nazi meth pills during World War II battle, sparking a two-week trip that ended with him half-naked and badly wounded in a ditch, eating a raw bird before he was rescued alive. <laughs> That's the Wait, headline. a raw bird? That's what tipped it a over. A raw bird? Was raw. Okay, what okay. were the pills? Yeah. Okay. Nazi death pills, obviously. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I'll try to give us some context. Mm -hmm. Finland and Russia were upset. Not surprised. Mm -hmm. But I love that this is how 
the piece opens. Whether it's a too few many glasses of wine after work or too many slices of pizza on the sofa at home, we've all ended up feeling worse for wear after overindulging. <laughs> True, that's where they got me. But perhaps none of us have ended up feeling as bad as Aimo Kovunen, a Finnish soldier who accidentally took a squad's worth of Nazi methamphetamine pills while fleeing Soviet soldiers on skis during the Second World War. So this is the other way that this piece got me, is that the header shot is like a black and white vintage photograph of soldiers on skis wearing like gas masks, like helmets with like the Chernobyl effect mm. look. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Okay. Aimo hoped the pills would give him enough energy to escape the pursuing Red Army, which they did, though he also outran his own unit, got lost, and ended up spending two weeks skiing around the Arctic Circle while high out of his mind. Did he eat? Okay. The incredible story took place in March of 1944, when Finland, fighting a year's long on-off conflict with Russia over its eastern provinces was in an alliance of convenience with Hitler's Germany. This guy, Imo, was 27 years old. He was on this mission, like the kind of mission that's reflected in the movie 1917, the war film, where mm -hmm. it's like two guys have to get from like A to B mm -hmm. in three days. So that's how this reads. Basically, he gets lost with his people, and since they're on skis, he has to, like, catch up. And he remembers he knew he had to do something to tip the balance. It was then that he took out a packet of Nazi pervitin pills from his breast pervitin? pocket. Okay. Methamphetamine that was given to Hitler's troops to give them an edge in battle. Amo, a straight-laced kid who abhorred the idea of taking the pills, had been entrusted to carry the squad's whole supply, which he promptly tipped into his hand because it was too difficult to extract a single pill whilst wearing mittens. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. In a moment of madness, Imo swallowed the whole handful within minutes, found he had more than enough energy to escape his Soviet pursuers. Not only did he escape them, but he quickly overhauled his own squad. When they eventually caught up with him, they noticed something was badly wrong. <laughs> he was hallucinating and barely coherent. I'm cutting ahead. They take away his weapon and they basically leave him. He would have been annoying. And this is all in a memoir. So we're getting to the dad part shortly. Oh, good. Yeah. But there's like three days worth of insanity. At one point, he thinks he fights off a wolverine, but it turns out to be a tree branch. <laughs> he insists on snow and pine, uh, like pine needles. pine and snow. Well, fiber at least. What a situation, he says. Eventually, after a day of hard skiing, Imo manages to escape the Soviets before stumbling upon an abandoned cabin. He went inside and decided to warm himself up by lighting a fire. But in his disoriented state, Imo lit the blaze in the middle of the wooden floor. He then fell into a fitful sleep 
as the cabin burned around him, waking each time the flames got too close, only to move slightly further away and go back to sleep. Somehow he managed to get out of the burning cabin before it collapsed on top of him, before stumbling on a second shelter, an abandoned Nazi military camp. But, unbeknownst to Imo, the departing soldiers had booby-trapped it. He first trod on a landmine which blew most of his right foot to pieces, then stumbled to a cabin, another one, and opened the door, only for a second explosion to throw him 30 feet into a nearby ditch. Surrendering to what appeared to a certain fate, Imo stayed in the ditch for what he estimated to be a week in temperatures as low as minus 30 degrees Celsius, with only a few small fires to keep him warm and a raw bird to eat, which he caught with his bare hands. Wow. Ooh. Why not cook the bird on the fire? Yeah. He was rescued. Cook the bird, for God's sake. Why was the bird raw? Yeah. Four small fires. All he could do was, like, reach. He caught a bird? With his bare hands. I wonder if the bird was dead. You can catch a bird, but you can't cook it exactly i okay. something stinks something's in this very story. wrong with this story. something stinks like raw bird <laughs> the raw bird was the real red herring there so at the end they kind of like rounded out about Wait, how he gets what? fixed first of all why is, is this you'll is see this excerpted from something what is this why are, why is the daily mail writing about this okay this is where, where we get to it Despite the traumatic experience, Imo survived the war and went on to have a family and lived to the old age of 71. He died in 1989. <laughs> what? This is why it made the cut. His son, Mika, later recalled how his father didn't like to discuss his time in the war, but in 1978 wrote down the experience of his meth trip for a competition that a magazine was holding. It took second place. That is the <laughs> end of the entire story. They do link to the memoir. It has nothing to do with anything. It is just one of those random January 2022 Daily Mail articles. They just found this. They just found they this just... story. Like, there's no timely. It's not like as recounted on a TV no. show that recently aired. Nothing. No. Why the fuck did he get second place? The best detail of this whole story is that they got second it place. Took second place. <laughs> and that they wait until the end to tell you he survived. And the reason we know he survived is because he had a son who's now telling us this story, which is like, oh my God. I love that there's no peg to that, no. that and yet story. It ends with fatherhood. And it's all about mm. masculinity. That's the thing. It's like the, the headline might as well just be men, men. Men, strong, <laughs> strong, strong. Because here's our yeah. science piece headline. Men, 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 strong, here's our strong. Science piece. Here's our science piece. This is the headline. Men who smoke before hitting puberty are more likely to have fat granddaughters. Study claims. That's enough of a reason. Boy, that grabbed my attention. As a header. Fat. Fat granddaughters. Fat. What could be worse? Smoke cigarettes or let's Fuck. find out. Get rid or of it. Smoke. Stop it because you know you're going to have fat grandchildren, granddaughters, and they'll never be wanted. Guys, 
You have to stop this. What if you've got teenage boys to stop Oh my God, that is what they're doing. Come on, guys. Come on, you don't want to do this to your granddaughters, you guys. It's shocking. You don't want to fucking wreck their romantic prospects. This Talk about a (laughs) non-study. Study. Okay. Men who smoked before hitting puberty are more likely to have fat granddaughters or even great-granddaughters, a study suggests. Even. University of Bristol researchers previously linked fathers who started smoking at a young age with having overweight children, not just daughters. And now they believe they've found the first sign the negative effects of cigarette use can span across four generations so far. Experts reviewed data from 14,000 pregnant women who signed up to the Children of the 90s study set up to closely monitor the health of their children and grandchildren. So boomers, the greatest generation, and, you know, here we are. These were lined to records on whether the grandfathers or great-grandfathers had began smoking before the age of 13 or began smoking in their teens. Academics uncovered a link with increased body fat in granddaughters and great-granddaughters, but not in their male counterparts. Girls whose maternal grandfather's father smoked as a child carried on average basically 12 pounds more fat when they turned 17. This is also specific. Then if their relatives picked up the habit later in their teens, which this study just assumes everybody smoked, in their teens mm-hmm. or pre-teens, or pre-teens right? they're hoping yeah they were 14 pounds heavier when they were 24 on average these poor granddaughters and if their paternal grandfathers were smokers from young ages then the increase was eight pounds and 12 pounds respectively they found the relationship was specific to sex and suggested it could be caused by smoking altering DNA in older generations, but they did not give a clear reason for why it appears to be affecting women more than men and said more studies are needed to confirm the relationship. And they did not establish why there were differences depending on their paternal and maternal lineages. Researchers Hmm. were not able to look at grandmothers and great-grandmothers because so few smoked in their youth. Oh, really? Bullshit. It was easier to get data on men smoking at young ages because they were more likely to talk about it, they said. They relied on participants recalling their grandparents' and parents' smoking history anecdotally. Insane. What about the fact that one thing they didn't address is that if you squint, Bristol is a town of pirates. You know what I mean? (laughs) Everyone from a very specific angle is a pirate. If you squint. Yeah. If you not, they're not like all pirates, but if you go there, it does. It's a, they all talk like pirates. Mm. Well, at no time in this article is the word cancer used or any other ill effect just from early smoky childhood smoke. Fat granddaughters and great granddaughters. They're not even calling their daughters fat. They're just saying, like, you need to be thinking about two generations. When you pick up that cigarette as a 12-year-old boy, that is literally what this is. We think this yeah. is a hunch. <laughs> We've only talked to people anecdotally. Yeah. 
the piece ends with, anecdotally, it was something grandfathers and great-grandfathers boasted about, often claiming that it hadn't done them any harm. Nevertheless, although the proportion of men born in the first yes, part of the 20th has. century had a rate of smoking cigarettes as high as 80 to 90 percent, very few claimed to have started smoking before age 13. This mm -hmm. resulted in very small numbers for analysis. Researchers said more studies will be needed <laughs> to confirm <laughs> yeah, the effects of that? smoking yeah. on granddaughters and great-granddaughters before I, they yeah. can be confident about reasons why these heifers might be so much fatter. These peppers? Heifers. Heifers. Oh, these, no, peppers, <laughs> whatever peppers. you want. There's a bunch of peppers. Do you hear anything? Okay. I do think I like Matt's idea of approaching 12 year old boys who are smoking on the street. I do too. Tell them that they might, they should put it out. Just think about it. We need to print up some, tell me about your father yeah, branding a, uh, teen oh. brochures. Teen anti smoking brochures for boys. It's a whole campaign, it's a it, whole public health yeah. campaign. But it's like you can imagine like the mother. She'll be sitting there talking to her friend over a, a cup of tea or whatever. And she's like, well, you know, he stopped smoking at 14. Oh, why? Well, because, you know, he found out his granddaughter might be fat. <laughs> Not like, because his, because, you know, his father died. And so it really hit home. <laughs> well, we found out that his granddaughter in 50 fucking years, in 70 years, he could give birth to a woman who may be fat. So that, you know, just really shook him to make decisions. And even just like somehow you come up with 12 pounds, this make-believe yeah. human being down the road because of your childhood smoking habit may wear 12 pounds. Well, also just the premise that someone being 10, 10 to 12 pounds overweight makes them fat. That's also that's an incredible. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Like that's not. And should be avoided at all costs. Like if you, yeah, whatever you have to do at that point. Fat women are deeply abhorred by society. It's not okay to be a fat woman. We are terrified of fat women. And I think it speaks to that. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, we have a lot to think about. <laughs> that's a really, we've got a lot to go over. Think of the implications. But getting a 12-year-old boy to care about that is so funny. <laughs> what does this mean for Prince Andrew's, you know, great granddaughters? Well, we're about to find out because they were just born. So let's see. <laughs> let's see what being a sexual predator has to do with your. Does that have an effect on your granddaughter's weight? We're about to find yeah. out. <laughs> well, the generational trauma is just more than 10 pounds. I gentrum. I want to, I have to go. Okay, we're going to wrap up. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you. We're sorry we didn't not, do a but... December episode, but we had COVID. And yeah. when I say we, I mean yeah, me. And it was just too, TM too much. Okay, bye. Bye. Much. Good luck. Tell Me About Your Father was created and produced by Aaron Hosier, Elizabeth Thompson, and Matthew Philp. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Tell Me About Your Father and become a Tell Me About Your Father subscriber at patreon.com slash tellmeaboutyourfather. <laughs>